Hey Rebel Parents, welcome to 2017. What an exciting year this is going to be. Almost a year ago, I quit my job at Family Talk. Scary situation, didn't know what was ahead of me, and I know a lot of you out there are considering changing jobs or maybe out of work. Studies show that almost 80% of Americans would change jobs if they could. They're unhappy with the work they go to every single day. So I've got Dan Miller on the broadcast today. 48 days to the work you love. What an inspiring man this is. I met him at a great conference put on by Ken Davis called the Launch Conference, and I knew I had to have him on the broadcast. So you're going to love him. Have you signed up for the newsletter? No, you haven't. I know this because I know how many people are signed up for it and how many people are listening to the program. You've got to sign up for it. There are so many good things in there. We're getting great feedback. To do so, it's very easy. You text the word REBEL to 444-999. Text the word REBEL to 444-999 or go to rebelparenting.org and sign up there. You're going to love it. I have give all kinds of recommendations of the books I'm reading, the movies I'm watching, the stuff I'm listening to, and the thoughts I'm pondering. But without any further ado, let's welcome Dan Miller to Rebel Parenting. Dan, thanks for being on the program with us today and taking time out of your schedule. We really do appreciate it. Ah, uh, thanks. I'm honored to be your guest today, Ryan. Dan, you and I met at a conference you do with Ken Davis called the Launch Conference, and it is for people like I was. I did it um, this past April. People in a mid-career transition. I had just quit my job. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, and. Um, I was so impressed with that launch conference, with the speakers that were there, with the information. And I got your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and I thought, you know, this would be a great program to have on the podcast. And then I was watching a video of you with Dave Ramsey, and you mentioned this, and I said, this is a good theme for a program. You said 70 to 80% of Americans would change jobs if they thought they could. And I thought, that's crazy. That is so many people. That's such a huge percentage of the population that are unhappy with the work that they're doing. And I thought, what's the repercussions? What's the ripple effect of that? And then I just looked at my own life. You know, I quit my job uh, a year ago in January, and I was frustrated. I love working with my dad. I love the work we were doing. The work itself was fun, but the atmosphere that I was in was frustrating. I came home frustrated, and it just wasn't worth it anymore. What are you finding out there? Are people really that unhappy with their work? How did so many people end up in jobs they don't want? Well, that's a great question, and you're right. It is ridiculous to have, especially here in America, you know, the greatest land of opportunity around every quarter and get through that many people unhappy in their work. The reason is we look for external solutions too quickly. You know, well, gee, I hear that computer programming is hot. I'll major in that in college, you know, and get a degree in that. Or they're hiring down the street. Or my Uncle Harry works over here and they need somebody. So we look for external solutions. 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in our career comes from looking inward. So we got to take that deep breath. It almost seems counterintuitive, but we got to stop, draw a line in the sand, but look inward first. We can really figure out, you know, how has God gifted us in terms of skills and abilities? What are, about our personality tendencies? How do we relate to other people? What kind of environments are we most comfortable in? And then the third area being, what are your values, dreams, and passions? When you get clear on those things, you can develop a real clear focus for what work ought to look like to embrace those mm. things that you now know about yourself. Then and only then is it appropriate 
two, look for what work would bring those all together. In essence, Ryan, what we're, what we're looking for is how can you find work that complements the life you want to live rather than the other way around. I mean, we hear people moving across country to a town they hate because they got a job, and that's just ludicrous to do that. What you do is decide what kind of life you want to live. There's plenty of opportunity for work that embraces that. So, Dan, is that available for – I'm going to ask a, a different question. How do you start that process then? You know, I mean, it's it's either – you know, there's one type of person that's sitting in their job and like, I hate my job. I just hate my job. I, I take it out of my family and I can't take it anymore and I got to do something different. That person's got a bit of a safety net going on. They can, they can go through this book. They can look internally, you know, talk about their identity and look for work that way. There's the other person that just got fired and they find out they've got two weeks and then that's it. And that, that panic sets in. And you know, over the last, you know, eight, nine years, when I first moved to Colorado, I was um, out of, I wasn't, I didn't have a steady job. I was just speaking. Uh, and if I spoke, I got money. And if I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have a regular nine to five job. And then I worked with my dad for seven years and then I quit in January. So I've met a lot of people that all of a sudden find themselves out of work in that moment when all you can think about is how do I feed my kids? How do I keep them in diapers? How do I make the mortgage payment? How do I make the car payment? And all you start seeing is, oh my goodness, I've just racked up all this debt. What am I going to do? How in that moment do you internalize and try to find fulfilling work and not just fill that gap? Sometimes it requires a two-step process. Mm. There are people who have been highly paid CEOs or entrepreneurs where things came crashing down and my recommendation is let's go to Home Depot and get you a job. Let's get you a job, you know, make it 15 bucks an hour, but at least you've got something, you know, there's going to be a paycheck. Mm. For one thing, when we aren't productive, there's a negative cycle that can start to take place really quickly. All of a sudden, gee, you know, no finances coming in. So the first thing that there is is relationship pressure. And so then there's a cascading of self-esteem low self-esteem. So on Monday morning, instead of being out there hitting the streets and talking to people and networking, gee, that's a little intimidating. I'm just going to sit here, you know, and eat Pringles on the couch and watch Seinfeld reruns for a couple hours. And all of a sudden the day goes by. Sure. So that we start to de deteriorate you know, financially, emotionally, relationally. Physically. Well, even if you're helping that's out around the house, you have to break. Yeah. I mean, let's say the husband's yeah. at home and he's, you know, making dinner and fixing things around the house and keeping it clean and doing all those things. Things are getting done, but work isn't being looked for, and it's almost an escapism. Like, well, I'm 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 getting stuff done, you know, I'm I'm doing okay, and there's still something missing there too. I like that. I like that stopgap. It's okay. So you're saying it's. I think some people look at 48 days to the work you love and think, well, I can't take a job unless it's quote unquote perfect. And you're saying, hey oh man, my. if you need to, you know, pay the bills, no. pay the bills while doing the internal work. But then that's the first step. Mm. Don't then just unconnect and say, well, you know, this isn't great, but it'll get me by. No, continue the process of defining what would that ideal dream job or business be. Continue making deposits and moving toward that. Yeah. So you put yourself in the, in the driver's seat and take yourself out of that position of vulnerability where you unexpectedly 
you get a pink slip, and then you're you're sunk. Right. Should never be in that position. Yeah. You know so clearly what your marketable skills are that you're able to move ahead regardless. But, so, it, but for somebody to just settle for a job that they really dislike, mm-hmm. I mean, that just is not a good plan. There's too many compromises with that. And the one thing where we spend the most time in our lives, that'll suck the energy out of you and start to deteriorate other areas of your life every time. That's right. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, health-wise, emotional, spiritual, all those things, definitely. If you're in a job you don't like, it's it's funny. I, I speak at a camp in the summertime for uh, older age high school kids. And it's a very type A, high functioner, high producer type of environment. And I'll say, how many of you guys raise your hands are going to go to college? Well, it's everybody raises their hand. There's 180 kids there. They all raise their hand. And I say, why are you going to go to college? And they all say, to get a good job. And I go, what does it mean to get a good job? And not everybody, but most kids reflexively say, make a lot of money. And I say, stop. And I go, what if you hate your job, but you make a lot of money? What if you make a million bucks a year and you hate every second of your job? Is it worth it? And it gets real quiet because that's what the American dream really has sold us. I mean, it's not what the American dream is, but that's what we think. Well, we need to get a job to make a lot of money and that's the end all. Well, what do you do with that? And talk about how work you love is so much more than what you do and why money isn't necessarily the most important aspect of a job because really I think most people, the most important they think thing they think about when they think of a job is how much they're going to make and then everything else falls below that. Is that, a, is that the right way to look at a job? No, it's, it's certainly not. I've seen so many examples that confirm money ultimately is not enough compensation for investing their time and energy. Mm. And I've been a life coach for many years and I've worked with dentists, physicians, attorneys you know, who are making four or $500,000 a year, and they hate the life that they've created. It happens all the time. There has to be three legs to the stool, and those three legs are passion, talent, and money. It's not enough to have two. So a lot of people have identified something where they have developed the talent to do that. You could take a dentist who's developed the talent to do that, and the money is great, but if there's no passion, It'll eat them up from the inside out. I worked with a dentist a couple of years ago, Brian, who was uh, 47 years old, was making about $400,000 a year. Everything from the outside looked beautiful in terms of the life that he had. Well, when talking to him, but he, but he was on heavy medication for depression. Oh, yeah. And came to me and said, something's not right. And he came to me and we started unpacking his life. And one of the things that he shared is that he had an ultralight plane. Now, an ultralight you know, is essentially a go-kart with wings, but I thought, oh, man, that's got to be really cool to be up, you know, over your house, over the town. Boom, just be up there. That's got to be a great experience. He says, Dan, I know nothing about airplanes. I hate heights. But he said, one of these days, that plane's going to go down. If I put a gun to my head, that would be messy and an embarrassment to my family. No. But if that plane goes down... It's a socially acceptable way to check out of this miserable life. Come on. The only reason he had that, the only reason he had that plane was because it was his suicide plan. As soon as we started getting in healthy, sold the plane, no interest in that at all. Wow. That's an example. That's what happens when somebody has talent and money, but no passion. Yeah. It's not enough. 
mine wasn't that, but that's what I was experiencing. I really, you know, I started experiencing burnout because I made great money and I got to use my talents, but there was, there was a missing passion. And I think people forget that they need to feel fulfilled by what they're doing. They need to have an investment, an emotional investment, you know, so they wake up and they think, Oh, today I'm going to do this. You know, is, is that, Oh, absolutely. But is that available for every job, Dan? You know, I think about, uh, when I first got to college, I went to Olivet Nazarene University in Kankakee, Illinois. My parents said, you got to get a job. And I said, okay, I got a job. So I went to the, the job board and I checked the box on one of the jobs and I was a janitor. I'd been a janitor before and I was a janitor again. I cleaned toilets and I picked staples out of carpet and I cleaned classrooms. That's what I did. That was not a fulfilling job. It did not excite me. I did not uh, wake up thinking about new and better ways to clean toilets or how to magnetize carpet, <laughs> staples to get a carpet. You know, some jobs, they just kind of stink. Can can everybody <laughs> find fulfillment in there? I mean, if that's the, jo the only job I can get, can I be fulfilled in that job that way? How do, how do you do jobs? I just, you know, it, that, that job made me, made me money. It got my parents off my back. It gave me a little extra spending money, you know, that kind of thing. But it was not an enjoyable job. Well, here's, here's the deal. This is a very individualized process. Mm -hmm. You have described clearly that that was not a fit for you because there was no passion involved there. But I'll guarantee you we could find somebody else who would absolutely love doing what you just described. I was on a, a radio um, call not that long ago, and it was out of Chicago. It was actually Moody Midday Connection, and had a caller, and he described his work. He repair, works for one of the utility companies. He repairs broken pipes in people's homes pretty much all year long. That's what he does. Hmm. I can't imagine anything more miserable than crawling around under a house in sub-freezing weather working on water that's leaking in chicago illinois uh, he absolutely loves his job he said every day he's a hero people love him because they have a problem he can fix it wow think about that death. what an amazing perspective he is the savior absolutely. they've got a leak it's flooding their house it's causing damage and he comes in and fixes it and he gets to be a hero every single day that's right wow. so when people people challenge me Dan, it's unrealistic for everybody to love their work. If everybody loved their work, we wouldn't have people that fix crows and pipes. We wouldn't have people that pick up garbage. Yes, we would. Yeah. There are people where those jobs are a great fit for them. There's really nothing you describe where somebody, I mean, if you go to a, a hockey game here in Tennessee, you know, big deal, hockey pre predators are playing, and there's a break, and somebody comes rushing out there, and they wipe down the plexiglass with all the saliva and spit and blood that's on there. <laughs> there are people that would give their right arm to have that. That's job. right. Not that's me. exactly right. Yeah, not, yeah definitely. <laughs> there are people who, who absolutely love the connection with the sport, the game, being out in front with people and all that. So, no, I, I'm totally committed to my belief that everybody can find or create Hmm. Work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I like that. I like that. You know, you talk about something in the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and it's the internal conflict of divine discontentment. I love that phrase. That is a great turn of words as a writer, as a speaker. I like that. But what is the internal conflict of divine discontentment? It's that subtle sense that this is not right. I am not on 
the right path. And as a career and life coach, you know, I have people who approach me who are doing very well by all appearances. Mm. And this includes pastors who come to me and say, you know, everybody thinks that this is the center of God's will. But there's something missing. Mm. I don't think I'm on the right path. This is a very individualized process, but that sense of divine discontent, just the sense getting up in the morning and thinking, man, I really don't want to have to go do this again. Even though people respect me and pay me well for it, it just doesn't really thrill me at all. And there's that sense that God has something better for me. Mm. That's why even in the last couple of years, Ryan, there have been thousands and thousands of people that have lost their jobs. Yeah. You know, even you know, it just it just happens. Good, reliable, dependable, godly people lose mm-hmm. their jobs every day. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the workplace that we live in. For a lot of them, it was a wake-up call. In as much as the initial knee-jerk reaction was, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to have to turn back in the car. We're going to go on vacation this right. year. We're going to have to give up our, our extra home. You know, all those things, they think less immediately. But in retrospect, a lot of those people are saying, man, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. It forced me to take a fresh look, and I realized I was an imposter. I was trying to live somebody else's dream, yep. and this allowed me to get connected with the things that were really important to me, mm-hmm. the things that I enjoyed when I was 18 years old. And now I'm doing something that pulled me on a path, not only that is a lot more fulfilling, but also that's more profitable. I yeah. hear those stories every day of the week. Yep. And, you know, Dan, that's why I wanted to have you on, because that's my story. You know, as much as I loved working with my dad, that part of it was so much fun. He understands me like nobody else does. He's my dad. I mean, come on. How can he not understand me? I understand him. We love the same things. Everything else about the job bothered me. It just wasn't right. And on the outside, I had people be like, Ryan, you're crazy. You're crazy. I wonder if people in that scenario, Dan, feel in a way more stuck. I mean, I can imagine there's husbands out there listening right now thinking, that's me. I just, I dread going to my job every day. My wife has no idea that I just don't want to go anymore and it drives me crazy and I'm just stuffing it down on the inside. Is there hope, Dan? I mean, the people that feel that way, I mean, there's, you're saying right now, 70 to 80% of Americans would change their jobs if they could. I've got to say, most people listening today, most spouses who are at home, could be a husband, could be a wife, your spouse who's at work probably doesn't like their job. That's a big deal. <laughs> they don't like their job. They go anyway. You know, they go anyway. They got to pay the bills. They know the reality of the situation in life. They go anyway, but they don't like their job, what would it do to our culture to have people in careers where they enjoyed getting up every day? What would our world look like if we were to take that step and to find passion in our jobs every day? I mean, that seems like it would be a kind of a a cultural shift. Well, it would. The pharmaceutical companies would go out of business. Yeah, that's right. Because we wouldn't need all the medication to Mm. blunt the things that we're feeling. What you've described, Ryan, is the old adage, good is the enemy of the best. If things are just okay, people tolerate that for years. I had a guy recently that I saw who described he had lost his job. He was in an interim period, and he heard that the bank offered him a position at the bank. Now, he knew it would just be temporary, you know, but he needed two or three months to really clarify what he wanted to do. Sure. That was 14 years ago. Mm. 14 years he's been in that same position because he just got comfortable enough that he didn't take the initiative 
to really figure things out. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people are stuck in that. They haven't taken the time to look inward. And what happens, too, I mean, you know how it goes, just like you described. You get out of college, mom and dad say, hey, you got student loan debt, you need to get a job. Yep. Boom, get out there, get a job, and all of a sudden, then there's a mortgage payment. You know, the kid's coming along, mm-hmm. life just happens, and we just get trapped, seemingly so. Although, that's not something that I take lightly either, because nobody is trapped. We have choices, so many choices. Healthy people have choices. the initiative. Oh, we can take the initiative to break that cycle and move into something more fulfilling. And this is not the, the thing, too. And I know that you, a lot of your listeners, have deep faith. And this is not being selfish. This is not being materialistic. This is releasing the very best God has in us. Mm. If we go to work every day, we don't like what we're doing. There is no way in the world we can be salt and light to the world. We can't be somebody who's attractive and appealing because there's going to be an absence of that joy mm. and victory in our own lives. Mm-hmm. It's only by defining what it is that really makes us come alive that we can be the best, that we can fulfill our calling in any sense of the word. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I When I was at launch conference, I just every time, and I know everyone else there, I got to talk to so many people there. We all feel like you're speaking directly to us. And now I feel like you're speaking again directly to me. You know, being here, being on the broadcast, being on the radio, having a podcast, doing ministry with my wife, having rebel parenting, having people write in. I mean, yeah, we're not making a living doing this right now. This is a donor-supported ministry, and, uh, you know, it's it's brand new. And I just feel so fulfilled. I wake up every day, and I'm excited. And we're uh-huh. able to input into other people's lives more, and we're getting along with our kids better, and our Bible study better, and our parents better. And it's just life is so much better, even though the thing that always seemed most important is the least stable. And that's how we actually pay our bills. You know, I'm paying our bills in many creative and new ways right now. And that always seemed like the most important thing. And at this point in our lives, it's the least stable and we're so much happier. I mean, we're just so much happier. Well, if you come home exhausted, emotionally Mm. wrung out, your creativity is going to be in the gutter. But if, in fact, you're doing things that do energize you, creativity will perk up its ears and lead you into a whole lot of new opportunities. Mm. So you certainly describe a healthy path, doing something that you enjoy, even if it seems to others to be impractical or unrealistic. You know, how are you going to make any money doing that? I mean, I've worked with a lot of musicians and artists over the years. Well, we know what we tell artists. you starving artists. Nobody's going to make money doing that. Are you kidding me? My gosh, I've got to... I've got a painting right here in my office, a beautiful, beautiful piece. And the young man who did that came to me as a pastor. He had had a real dramatic change in his own life, and he thought the most godly thing he could do was be a pastor. Went to seminary, got ordained in his pastor of a little tiny Baptist church. Of course, they were paying him peanuts. And he was working as a night clerk at a Mm -hmm. hotel during the week just to try to keep the lights on in his house. And I'm like, who sold you this bill of goods? Yeah. He was just a guest. He's yeah. like, what do you mean? I'm doing the most godly thing I could do. I said, no, you aren't. It's not a fit for you. You're trying to be something that you're not. Yeah. Let's figure out how God has really gifted you. I said, what do you do that really makes you come alive? 
what is it that puts you in the zone? I said, oh, my gosh, I go into one of the little rooms in a rented house. I lock the doors and put on Beethoven and Mozart, and I paint. I said, okay, let's explore that. I had him quit everything he was doing, including pastoring the church. For four years, he did bow finishes, where he did brushes, sponges, rags on people's walls, give it a dramatic effect. But that positioned him in that period of time to move into these beautiful paintings that he does now. Nothing wow. but music-themed paintings. Mm. Well, the piece I have here in my office is you know, a $10,000 piece that he gave me just out of appreciation after this transition. He's making... 10 times the money he ever dreamed of making as a pastor. Mm. And here's the deal. Some people would look at that and say, well, gee, he walked away from his calling. No, he didn't. His calling was not to be a pastor. His calling was to help encourage people, lift them up, lead them to the Lord. He can do that way more effectively now Mm -hmm. than he ever could before. He said before, you know, people knew what to expect because I'm a pastor. Right. They knew what I was going to say. He says, now... I'm just the artist. So I'm in these people's gorgeous homes with their wealthy friends. He said, I have an opportunity to speak and really minister to people in ways that I never did before. That's the power of authentic fit. And that doesn't fit me. I'm not an artist. But with him, even though it's in something where other people would see it as impractical or unrealistic, no. If that's really how God has gifted him, then let's do that with such excellence that it addresses all the other issues as well putting money and believe me it can do that oh i agree 100 wholeheartedly agree dan what an amazing program we've got a just a second left can you stick around can we do a little bit of a bonus episode and play that for people in midweek would that be okay i'd be happy to awesome i appreciate that we're talking to dan miller author of 48 days to the work you love for more information on dan and rebel parenting head to rebelparenting.org Also, while you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Don't forget, sign up for the newsletter. I give you all kinds of great recommendations on books, movies, products that we're using, things that are helping us be a better family, bringing us closer together. You can do that on the website, rebelparenting.org, or in your car right now. Text the word REBEL to 444-999. 444-999. Text the word REBEL. We'll sign you up for the newsletter. God bless. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.